My name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, this will be our last sermon in Hebrews for 2013. We'll get back into it at the start of the new year. Um, and next week we'll dig into Luke chapter 2, looking at Mary's song of celebration that she gets to be part of what God's doing and bringing Jesus into the world. Um, so you can read ahead Luke chapter 2 for Advent. And Advent's a really awesome time because uh, right now everyone's trying to figure out, so Thanksgiving's late, uh, how do we sell a bunch of stuff, how do we make a lot of money, do we start running Christmas songs now or later so people will buy things, yada, yada, yada. Hey, I'm for buying things, I'm for being generous to people, but it's important for us as Christians to remember the, the thing that we need to be doing in the coming weeks, and the coming days, is preparing our hearts to celebrate the reality that Jesus Christ, God himself, entered into human history, and Jesus Christ, God himself, is coming back to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. And so it's cool for us because we get to we get to redeem it. We don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to make fun of your family members who, uh, you know, go do Black Friday sales or whatever. But what I would really encourage you, as much as you can, use this as an opportunity to show people what this is about for you because Jesus came for you and that Jesus is returning for you and that this is our time to prepare our hearts to celebrate Jesus. So I just give you that as we dig into Hebrews. I'll pray for us and we'll go ahead and dig on in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day. You are our God. We need you. We are nothing without you. You are the vine, we are the branches. And so we pray, God, um, that you would fill us with your strength, that you would show yourself to us, and that, God, we would see that you're not something to be compared to others, that you're not something to be made, uh, that your gospel's not a pros and cons list, but that, Jesus, the glory of who you are so displaces every other thing in our life that we know that you're not just a way, you're the only way, Jesus. Help us to see you and to know you and love you today. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. All right, you can go with me to Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Free feel to get up. Feel free to get up and grab one of those. Um, as we look at this text, uh, there are a lot of things in life where we find ourselves making a pros list and a con list. We find ourselves doing comparisons, right? Should I drive a minivan or should I drive an Escalade? Well, how are my rims going to look on the Escalade? How are my rims going to look on my minivan? Uh, how comfortable is a Honda Odyssey? And uh, how are my kids' car seats going to fit in my Escalade? This might be your dilemma. It's not my dilemma, but it is a pros-con list. Um, at the same time, there are experiences in life that are so profound, so, so unique, or so powerful or ideas, or objects, or things, or pieces of art that are so profound and so big and so glorious uh, that the, 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 the idea of a comparison stops, right? Uh, you can have that. You can sit around and you listen to rock records. You're like, oh, that, that record did that better. That record did that better. That record did that better. But then when you hear that one where you're like, but this just changed everything. How, how did Millie Vanilli know that that is the glorious thing that will, that, that will displace all other music and its time and in its place and just be the most wonderful song that no one else can compare it? And then, maybe I was, maybe 280s. It was a, I was being sarcastic. Millie Vanilli lip-synced. It was bad. But sometimes there's something, there's, there's some piece of art or something that's so wonderful that you don't actually compare it to other things like it. You just spend time taking that thing apart. Because it's so wonderful that it displaces the other ideas. Today, the author of Hebrews, I think, doesn't want us to do a compare and contrast. The author of Hebrews wants us to be displaced by the glory of Jesus. That we would see Jesus with, with such clarity that there are no other options. 
that we would see Jesus for who he is and understand he is it. So that if you're here and you're seeking, and you're like, I'm doing the tour and I'm checking out the Buddhist temple and I'm going to the spirituality aisle at Barnes and Noble and buying stuff on Amazon that rock stars recommend. My hope is that you would be so displaced by Jesus that you would realize that it's not many paths up one mountain and there are many options to choose from and you make your best bet, but that Jesus is the only way. And that for those of us who are Christians, if you're in the midst of your struggle and your sin, you wouldn't be like, what is the method I'm going to use to get out of my junk? But that you would see, Jesus is the only way. He's the only one that can get me out of this. He's the only one that can rescue me. And it would displace all other methods. And that if you're maybe even growing cold in your faith or you feel a little vanilla or you don't feel the passion, the, the idea of who Jesus is, would, the displacing power of his glory would so stoke our hearts for him that we'd understand there's only one way to get excited about Jesus, and that is Jesus. Jesus. My hope that we'd see Jesus and get stoked. That the fire for our worship would get fire lit up. Let's go ahead and dig into Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Uh, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So what are we talking about here? There's an Old, Old Testament high priest system that he's referring to. And we have to be careful here not to do a couple of things. One, we have to be careful not to be anachronistic. And what I mean by that is he's actually writing to a people who are really, really familiar with the high priest system. You might not be, right? Uh, at best, maybe you were perusing the outlet mall and saw a little Ark of the Covenant in the uh, Christian outlet bookstore, and you're like, huh, that's interesting, you know? Or, or, or perhaps maybe you're trying to keep from your mind, maybe this is another 80s reference, but here we go. Uh, you're trying to keep from your mind the Raiders of the Lost Ark images that have made some of the old covenant priest stuff so real to some of us, uh, but not at all. Don't do that. It's actually that time of year where the light comes in from that window and blinds me, and that's how we know where the thing is on the map with the big stick. <laughs> And half of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Half of you are like, yeah, that's it, because I'll move. I'll be like, oh, oh, and you're like, why is it coming over here? Because um, that window is going to haunt me. It's getting me already. Um, but we need to be, we, we can't be anachronistic. So we can't look at these people and think they, they are where we are at, right? Because they don't have to, like, try and keep Raiders of the Lost Ark out of their mind. They have to go down the street and walk to the temple and see a high priest. It's crunchy. It's tangible. It's, it's real to them. It's really real to them. It's just down the street. I think this is written to people in Jerusalem. The temple is still, I believe this is written before, while the temple is still standing. So there's still a high priest there that could actually go, maybe not get an appointment with him, but, you know, maybe a secretary. Who knows, right? But it's there. It's tangible. Um, we also don't want to be reductionistic here. And what I mean by that is that we're not simply building a pros and cons list between Jesus and the high priests. Again, I think the author of Hebrews wants us to be radically displaced by Jesus, that we wouldn't even make a comparison, right? He's using some rhetoric with them. He's saying, hey, remember these things, these things, these things. But if they know Jesus, well, yeah, of course Jesus is better than those things. And of course Jesus uh, massively maximized the pros and cons scale. For them, he's reminding them of what they already know. For us, we have to build out some of it because maybe... Maybe you've never cracked the Bible before and you have no idea what a high priest is and all you can think about is like the Pope or something, right? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about these Old Testament guys. So here we go. I'll try and make some sense out of it for us. Uh, and of course, the, the greatest place we can go to get much sense out of this is the Old Testament itself, the first 78% of your Bible. But here we go. So for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on the behalf of men in relation to God. There's a mediator between God and human beings, namely the high priest 
who once a year goes into this thing called the Holy of Holies, which is at the center of the temple, to make a sacrifice for the people every year to make atonement between them and God. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't relate to people in different ways. We get clear instances. Hannah's praying to God in uh, 1 Samuel, and God hears. It's not that he didn't hear their prayers, but there's this one clear, tangible mediator between God and men, and it's this high priest. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Okay, so in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God said, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and this is what it looks like for you to walk in my ways. Now, even then, God is a God of grace, and he set up a system for what it looks like when you actually fall short of doing what a holy, just, right, and perfect God says. All right, no wrong. All light, no dark. Turns out I don't roll that way, right? If I'm living Old Testament, I have to make some trips with my sacrifices to deal with the fact that I'm living out of accord with who God is. Now, what's amazing about this, God is amazing. He doesn't show up to these people, these slaves in Egypt, and he doesn't say to them, "Uh, hey, I'll make you guys a deal. I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I'm going to spring you out of Egypt, and then you're going to follow these rules I set up for you. What does God do? He hears their cries. He comes, and he rescues them out of Egypt. And by the time we get into the middle of Exodus in the desert, he says, I will be your God, and you will be my people, which is awesome. He says, and this is what it looks like to walk in my ways. Now, we don't live Old Covenant. We live New Covenant. What happens in the New Covenant? God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to send you his Holy Spirit so you can walk in my ways. I'm going to empower you to walk in my ways. I'm going to give you grace to walk in my ways. And so we now live in this time that is better than that old covenant deal, right? And that's what he's trying to show them here. By the way, it's better here. He can deal, uh, sacrifice of sins, verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Why? since he himself is beset with weakness. Why? Because he's just a dude, right? There is some carryover. We don't want to do too much carryover between old, old Covenant and New Covenant stuff, but there is some carryover here. I'm just a dude. You need to know that about me. I'm, I'm just a dude. Uh, I can't stand between you and God. I can't stand in the gap between you and God. I'm here to tell you what he says, but guess what? You have full and unfettered access to God the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done if you're a Christian. Jesus Christ has done everything for you to know God. It's not my job for you to know God. It's my job to open the book and say what he says. And hopefully you hear from God. Jesus said, when they hear you, they hear me. But you don't need me on Wednesday afternoon to talk to Jesus Christ, correct? Who hears you on Wednesday afternoon? I don't. Try it. You're at home. Hey, Andrew. Sorry. Unless you're on a cell phone. Um, but he does. He does. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as for those of the people. We've we've touched on this in previous weeks, but it's worth saying again and again. So it's a high priest's job before he ever goes in there to offer sacrifices uh, on behalf of the people to God to make sure he's good to go. Uh, If you're interested in preaching in any way, shape, or form, that's also true of you. You need to deal with the text and you need to repent to God before you ever come up and try and deliver God's word to anybody else. Um, So there's some carryover. There's some things we can learn. It's not all gone. It's just we got to put it in our context. So he has to offer sacrifice for sins. And they're so serious about it, they tie a rope to his foot in case he forgot to confess something that when he goes in, if as he's going to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people, he falls down dead and they hear the bells go, chinga, 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 chinga. Or I guess they probably need to stop hearing the Christmas bells. See, I can make it a Christmas sermon. 
They stop hearing the jingle bells, and they say, oh, I guess we better pull him out. Um, but he had to do it for himself and for them. Why? He's just a dude. He's a sinner like anybody else. Okay? Let's keep going. And no one takes his honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. God appoints a particular family, the Levites, uh, Aaron being the, the first of the high priests. And you, if, you're, if you're born in the tribe of Judah and you're like, I'd really like to be a priest when I grow up, they say, sorry, guy, you were born in the wrong family. That's the way it goes. Only, only under certain circumstances are people called by God for this particular task. Now, as we look at this chunk, there's things in here that we do need to see that are surpassed by Jesus, and we, we need to see things where Jesus is just plain and simple superior, right? So, yeah, the high priest is just a dude, which means he can deal with the wayward, right? This is a beautiful thing about being a pastor. You can come to me. I not, might not be struggling or have struggled with the same thing you're struggling with, but I'm a person, and I have struggled with sin, and I've needed Jesus to save me, right? And so I can deal with you in that way. And if you come to me and you need help, the only help I can offer you, because I know there's only one way to have help, and that's Jesus, The only thing I can do in a biblical counseling session, if we're there, is remind you the truth of the gospel, remind you who you are, and remind you who he is and what he's done. Regardless of your struggle, I'm telling you, that's it. It's not that, oh, you're struggling with X, Y, and Z, and I have a particular plan for you. I have a method to get you out of this thing. You need the same, and it's not to say that we don't use certain tools, but at the end of the day, you need the same thing I do. It's Jesus. So no, if you're coming to me for biblical counseling, what am I going to tell you? The gospel of Jesus that Jesus came to save you from yourself and the struggle you find yourself in the midst of. Now, I can deal with you in that way, but how much does Jesus surpass us in being able to deal with the wayward? So last week we heard that Jesus Christ came into human history and was tempted in every way but knew no sin. You have nothing that Jesus was not tempted with in some way, shape, or form. Something that makes that true. Whatever you're dealing with, he dealt with what you're dealing with in some way, and yet knew no sin. And he's your God, and he's with you, and he hears you, and he knows you. Even if you're sitting there right now in your chair, and there's something you need help with, you know, he hears you. You can talk to him right now in your own mind. That surpasses the high priest. You don't have to make an appointment with Jesus to talk to him about the struggle you find yourself in the midst of. How much good news is that if you're in the midst of something? How much good news is that at Tuesday morning at work? And you can't get a hold of any of your friends. You're not alone. You're not alone. He surpasses that. Yeah, the high priest can deal with the wayward. How much more can Jesus deal with the wayward? How much better can Jesus deal with the wayward? Radically surpasses that. But not only that, there are just plain and simple ways that he is superior. Starting. So yeah, he's a high priest, but he's a high priest with no sin. So that means when he speaks into your life, it's not clouded by anything, right? It's, it's not his own experience or background or whatever. He can just speak the truth into your life from his word, no problem. The, the, this word is true, and he'll speak it into your life uh, without fail. Have you ever given someone advice that three or four years later, after you have a little experience under your belt, you're like, that was the wrong advice to give there? <laughs> just me? If I had did that over again, what would I do there? I would have made it more about Jesus and more about the gospel than some, some method or some, some tool to get themselves out of the mess. I would have told them more about who Jesus was in that moment. I would have reassured them more about who they are in, in and through the cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah, 
I have some of that in my own life, right? You probably do too, because you're a human being. Jesus doesn't. So he's just, he just eclipses the priest at that point in time. But here we go to the meat of what we're talking about here. Verse 5. So Christ did not exalt himself. So now we're switching from the spotlight from Aaron here onto Jesus. But I hope you saw it was always about Jesus. Uh, verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which is a fun word to say, Melchizedek. Maybe just me. Uh, now, now here's what's important. Uh, oftentimes, even if you, were to, if you were to Google this when you go home, and I don't mean to be critical of everybody else, usually this sermon goes something like this. And in fact, I've taught through this, this text at least twice in my life, and I think both times I did it before, I would have said, Jesus is better than the high priest. Well, duh, right? Yeah, okay, got it. it it's, not, it's not less than that. It's more than that. And I think there's two big errors we can make with this particular text as we get in here. One is an error that I like, kind of. It's an error, so you don't, you're not supposed to like errors. Uh, and one is one I'm less fond of. Uh, so let's look at the one I like first. Uh, if you go with me to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Philippians is a favorite verse, uh, favorite section of all the preachers at our church. Everyone who preaches comes to Philippians 2 at some point in time. Uh, we were in uh, 1 Corinthians last su- or uh, Colossians 1 last summer, and I think every single guy who preached referenced this at least twice. Um, and I'll read it, and you'll see, oh, man, there's a lot of similarity between this text and the text we're looking at. So here we go, starting in 4. It says this. Uh, Let each of you look not only at to his own interests, but to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Praise the Lord. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's good. That's, that's like a wear spot in my Bible. You know, there's some, some texts I would encourage you to be really, really familiar with. Really know that when, when tragedy strikes, you can grab your Bible and you can open it and you can hear the truth. I would encourage this to be one of those for you, Philippians 2. Oh, man, it is an Ebenezer. Now, what is Philippians 2 about? It is about the reality that Jesus uh, did not exalt himself, but God exalted him. Just like Jesus did not appoint himself, right, but God appointed him in the high priest. But what's the difference here? So Philippians 2 tells us the reality that God who is nothing, Jesus Christ, God who is everything, uh, became nothing so that you and I who are nothing could get everything in Christ. In fact, you and I are not just nothing. You and I are a liability. You and I have sin. You and I have baggage. You and I have run from God. You and I have rebelled against God. And you and I have made idols in our lives where we've said, this thing is the most important thing. This is the thing I find my meaning and purpose around. This is the thing my life orbits around. And sometimes it's me, and sometimes it's money, and sometimes it's a chair, and sometimes it's some other thing that God made. But I take the things that God made, and I say, this is God in my life, rather than saying to God, you are God in my life. So guess what? We're a liability. 
It's not just that, that we have nothing to offer God. We come in in the red. And Jesus Christ, who is everything, becomes nothing, dies on a cross to save us from ourselves for his glory and for our joy. So he who had nothing, who had everything, becomes nothing so that we can have everything in Christ. And therefore, we should what? Have this mind among yourselves that is yours in Christ Jesus. We should look at him and be like, oh man, Jesus was humble. I should be humble. That's the point of Philippians 2. And we could look at that And we could make that same application from Hebrews, except for what's the problem with Hebrews? It's not the application of Hebrews. So as much as I like that, and it's true, and they work together, and hopefully as we look at the grandness of Jesus, it humbles our hearts, Hebrews wants something else for us. Now, but here's the other danger. Here's the second danger that we need to avoid. And that's that we're going to try and put Aaron and his priests and Jesus, order of Melchizedek, on a scale and see which one's better. This is the scary one, because this is where we kind of find ourselves if it's just Jesus is better than Aaron. Well, of course he's better than Aaron. Um, And why is it important that we point this out? Um, Because we're pragmatic Americans and we love scales. Have you ever, in trying to solve a problem, made a pros and cons list? Have you not? As someone who's not done that, praise like you're unique, praise the Lord, right? But we're pragmatic Americans and we love putting things on the scales, and we love saying, well, you know, Aaron's crunchy. He's got the cool robe, and he's got the agates and stuff on the thing. And we've got David, you got Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. That's cool. We can go in and do whatever the temple's like on that day. Pretty glad to be a New Covenant person in those moments. Um, but we put it on the scales. And when we do this sort of, like I mentioned earlier with spirituality, we're like, well, you know, uh, I don't really like the whole all life is suffering thing that the Buddhists have. But the sort of Barnes and Noble Buddhists sort of just have karma and not the weird suffering stuff and no sacrifice or hard stuff. And it turns out um, it's all about me doing good stuff. And if I do good stuff, good stuff will happen to me. And that's like that movie with that kid from uh, that other movie, uh, Pay It Forward or whatever. And I like that. So that seems to be my best option because I think I, I work that, that works out the best for me in life. Uh, and often really it comes down to one of two options. We're kind of like, am I going to go with wiling out? Am I going to do with doing my own thing, or am I going to go with religion, right? Am I going to go with being a free spirit who just kind of kicks it and does whatever, or am I going to pick the thing where I pick the rules that help me be a good person, right? We've got religion, we've got uh, legalism, and we've got, uh, you know, wiling out, rebellion, right? One says, I find my meaning in life by doing whatever I want to do, and I don't care what anybody else says or who it hurts, as long as you're not hurting anybody, who, who gets to make that determination? That's hard, right? Or, hey, I've done all these things to get up to God. I've done all these things to find my way to my meaning and purpose in life. I have, God, aren't you lucky to have me as I climb up the rung of doing good service and good things uh, in life? My hope is as we put any of those things on the scale, or we put wiling out, or we put rebellion, or we put some other system and compare and contrast, that that reality that God himself, Jesus Christ, the one true God, came in the form of a servant born as a baby who lived the life you were supposed to live. He lived a perfect sinless life, a perfect sinless life, so that he could be right before his heavenly Father God, but not only so that he would be right, but that you would be right, so that God would take his life instead of your life. All your, whatever you, you don't have so much wiling out that you can out-sin the cross of Jesus Christ. 
I don't care what you bring in here today. The cross is bigger. The blood is stronger. And his cleansing work is more powerful in your life. You're clean. All of it. What you did last week, what you did last year, it's finished, it's clean, it's over. This is the gospel. And God had to come down for you, not you getting up to God. And when we stop and see that, we realize it's not one way or the other. Uh, It's not wiling out or religion. It's not one of many paths. It's one way because God had to come down to get to me. He had to save me and he had to save you. And if you don't know him, he will save you now. And so that when we see him for who he is, there are no more scales. There are no more many paths. There's one path, one way, and it's not my way or your way. It's his way and his name is Jesus Christ. And the reality of that is so meant to displace all other options. It's meant to so displace Aaron and the priest. And it's so meant to displace the temple and the crunchiness and the tangible things. That the only thing that's left when all else is leveled is Jesus in his glory. And how does the author of Hebrews do that? He appeals to probably the two most powerful psalms in all of the Old Testament. I will say this 15 or 100 times, as we're in Hebrews, when you see an Old Testament quote, go back and read it in its context because the author wants to give you something. He wants to give you more information than he's giving you uh, because maybe you've never read the Psalms or maybe you've never read Psalm 2 or maybe you've never read Psalm 110 or maybe you've never noticed that Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament scripture in all of the New Testament, which makes it a big deal. And that's okay. I would encourage you to read them, enjoy them, eat them, love them. But if you haven't, it's okay. That's, that's not the point. You didn't have to read them. I didn't assign it for homework last week, right? But what do they say? So let's watch him blow away the scales is what we're going to do. The point is not that, that, well, yeah, Jesus is better than Aaron, but it's not to put Aaron and Jesus and his priest, their priesthoods on a scale. It's that they're so displaced by the reality of Jesus that there is no other option. Psalm 2, coming out of Psalm 1, starting in verse 1. Uh, I will read it, and then I will make some observations, because it's kind of better that way, uh, just to drink it all in. But you need to know that the one, before I do that, the one he's talking about is Jesus here, and everyone was waiting for this guy. That's the background. That as uh, the Romans have invaded first century Palestine, as things are not going well, as things seem to be going poorly for God's people, they're waiting for one who God has promised from a long, 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 long time ago to come and fix everything. This is the guy they're waiting for. And pay attention to the guy from Hebrews is saying, by the way, he is here. And his name's Jesus. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The word anointed is Messiah, Hamashua. In the Greek, it's Christos, which we would say in English is Christ. You can put the word Christ there in your mind if it's helpful. Or you can put the word anointed over Christ, whichever's either or, whatever's helpful there. Uh, anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So all the world systems and all the people who are doing everything against God and, and oppressing the weak and, and doing things that are, that are systematically opposed to the things of God, 
God is saying this, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision, then he will speak to them in his wrath. That's the business end of his justice. That's they have done wrong against God and against people, and that they get what they deserve for doing so. They've paid it forward. And terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I set my king on Zion on my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. So Aaron got to be a high priest, but this guy is called a son by God. A little bit different. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry you and you perish in the way. For in his wrath... For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. The whole point of Psalms is to show, particularly in the the back end, four and five, that God is going to redeem his people. That God, even though when it doesn't look like God is the king of everything that he is. Have you ever had a day where it does not look like God is the king of everything? in your whole life on planet earth and its fallenness and its mess. Psalm sends the message that we need to have hope that he's going to come and put it back together and faith that even though it doesn't look like he's the king, he's the king. And it starts with this intro uh, that, by the way, God is at work, he is the king, and we can take refuge in him. The one who we've been waiting for, the anointed, who's going to deal with injustice in the world, who's going to defend the weak, the one who's going to take care of God's remnant, the one who will vindicate the righteous, the anointed one, that's Jesus. What does it say, the the particular verse he pulled out here? You are my son. God's son. The high priest is just some dude. We have a relationship with God through his son. And this word begotten uh, has a lot of meaning, but one of the big meanings is this is my firstborn. This is the one I've appointed. This is the one who's going to wipe every tear from every eye. This is the one who I've said all those promises I made to put the world back the way it's supposed to be, to crush Satan, to crush sin, to crush death, to make a new covenant, to put my law within your heart, to send you the Holy Spirit. All of those things are coming through him. Through him. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, this is Psalm 110. This is the single most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, Very interesting thing. If you're in your Bible... Capital L-O-R-D, all caps. What does that mean? That's the proper name for God. It means Yahweh. Capital L, lowercase O-R-D, also Lord. What does that word mean? Well, the word there is Adonai, which is a specific word that's reserved for what? God. Uh, At some point in time, they stopped using the word Yahweh, and they replaced it with what word? Adonai, which means if you're in a proper Hebrew class and you're trying to translate this and your teacher says, what does it say? You'd say, Adonai says to Adonai, because the word you use for Lord is Adonai. Adonai says to Adonai, 
My Lord says to God says to God, Aaron's a dude, the new priest is God. Put that on the scale, right? I don't know. I mean, that priest is God, and our priest is a dude with a, some agates. You think I'm joking. Read your Bible. Agates and chameleon, some other thing, like some other rock I've never heard of. But I, I think it probably looked cool. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. There's one who coming, who's coming who will have a people who that people offered themselves freely to that priest. Like it's confusing in there, doesn't it? Not if he's God. There's one coming who brings us truth of the gospel. Jesus has done it all, right? That's what I said a minute ago. That was true. So if Jesus has done everything, what do we do with the rest of our lives? The Christian spirituality question. If Jesus did it all, what the heck do I do with everything else? I respond to his glory. I respond to his reality. I respond to his beauty. And I do so joyfully. Like a few weeks ago, I summed it up. How can I keep from singing? If he set me free, how can I help but love him? How can I help but follow him? How can I help but love other people? How, how can I help but serve him? It's talking about this time, this church era that's coming, when people don't have to do anything, but they want to do everything. The Lord has shown and will not change his mind. Oh, pardon me. Uh, holy garments for the womb of your morning and the dew of your mouth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. What the heck does that mean? Has anyone heard of that one before? He appears three times in the Bible. Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and Hebrews. And Hebrews will unpack this at length. And so we get to nerd out about all this cool stuff in a few weeks. And we will nerd out. But the thing you need to know just from the onset here is that Abraham gave a tenth of his offerings to Melchizedek. He, so to speak, he's the patriarch and he bowed his knee to Melchizedek. He showed deference to Melchizedek. He offered what he had to Melchizedek, this dude. Now here's... I'll stop myself. Um, so, he, so Jesus comes in the same order. And the same order is one who someone else is showing deference to, and that's David. David saying, my Lord, this one of the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. So these are two of the, like, the giants. We don't have anything, like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln don't like compare to how huge these guys are in the, mind, the, in the Hebrew mind. They're ginormous. They're, they're gigantic. They're, uh, uh, they're pillars, right? It's Abraham, Father Abraham. We have Abraham as our father. It's something they say to Jesus, right? David, they're waiting for the new David. The new David's here. His name's Jesus. But this one is this king priest who they show deference to. Aaron doesn't show deference to anybody. Abraham bows a knee to Melchizedek. And this one who's come in the order of Melchizedek uh, is here. And he's ruling and reigning until all the enemies are put under his feet. So Jesus has come and he's done everything to crush Satan, sin, and death. And God is bringing them to fruition and they will be brought to fruition under his feet. That ever happened to Aaron? No. The point here is that at this point in time, we're supposed to forget about Aaron. Okay? 
as we look at the power and the glory of God said to my God, sit in my right hand, the vindicator, the refuge, this high priest king, this enthroned one, uh, it's not that Jesus is just sort of better or like on the scales with Aaron. These psalms are meant to blow us away. The one we've been waiting for here, the tear wiper is here. The one who's going to come and crush Satan, sin, and death has come. The one who's going to bring the new heavens and the new earth has come. The one who's going to restore the holy hill on Zion has come. The one who's going to put the world back the way has come. The one who's going to be a light to the Gentiles, those people outside of, by the way, if you don't have a Jewish background, that is you. He's coming to save us from ourselves. We can take refuge in him. We can freely offer ourselves to him. So it's not that Jesus is better. It's that Jesus is only. So that when you're seeking, it's not, well, I could pay it forward and I think that might work out. I think my scales are doing okay. I did walk three old ladies across the street. I did flip somebody off while I was doing that. Um, But I think it kind of evens out. And it's Christmas, so when I go get a Starbucks so that somebody has to work on Christmas Day, uh, I'll make sure to pay for the person behind me. I might forget to tip, but, you know, you can't tip with a credit card at Starbucks. And so that kind of evens out, right? Like, pay off my bad tipping for paying for somebody's coffee. And we're, we're even Stephen. And, and, and we could bring that, and we could look at all our different war plans. Well, this is the, the Buddhist way to handle it, and this is sort of the New Agey way to handle it, and um, this is the... Uh, the Unitarian way to handle whatever it might be, but you'll see they're all going up to God. And so if you're seeking, I'm, I'm not going to give you an option to get up to God. I'm going to tell you God came down for you and receive it. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do to earn the love of Christ. He had to come down for you. I have only one plan for God coming down for you. You can cook up a lot of plans for getting up to God, but it turns out that's a really far way to go and you're not going to make it. I have one plan for God coming down for you. And if you're in the midst of your struggle... There's just something you can't get over, some bitterness, some anger, some addiction, some, some sense of condemnation, uh, whatever it is. Like, I don't have, like, a, a book for you to read. And here's the ten steps for you not to feel condemned anymore. Or, uh, okay, you're addicted and you're stuck on whatever you're stuck on. It's Seinfeld this week because it turns out addictions move around and idols move around. And they're like that stupid game when you hit the thing down and the other weasel pops up and you hit it down and there's a new one over here and you hit it down. Because what we do is if we're really just reorganizing the chairs on the Titanic when we're moving from one addiction to the other. Well, I'm not going to drink beer this week by watching TV too much this week by doing this other thing. And you're moving, shifting, moving around and none of it gets dealt with because at the end of the day you have a worship problem. You keep worshiping things, and I don't care what those things are, but you're worshiping things, and those things need to be so radically displaced by the glory and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ that it's not me trying to move from one thing to another. It's me setting my eyes on who I actually need to follow and following Jesus out of my junk. i got to follow him out of here. He's got to save me from myself. i got to get out of here. So I don't have a strategy for you, and I don't have a plan for you per se. I've got Jesus for you. And that's it, because he's your high priest. And again, maybe it's just, maybe it's just cold. Like, how am I going to get fired up for Jesus? Well, I'll put on Spirit 105 and just see what happens. Which, by the way, it turns out singing is actually a really amazing way to get fired up for Jesus. It really is. I I love all the stuff that people aren't supposed to like because it's not cool enough. Man, when they sing about Jesus and they make it sound big, I love it. Right? 
But it's not the turning on of the radio that gets my heart fired up for Jesus. It's getting my eyes off myself and my eyes on him and getting lost in the worship of him. And I will do that to Keith Green or Chris Tomlin or whatever, especially Keith Green. Everyone's like, ooh, are you, what are you talking about? Check out the Easter song. You're like, oh, that's what he's talking about. You'll either be so happy or so bummed out I said it. But I would encourage you, Keith Green's amazing. Um, now I've lost my place. Um, <laughs> but what you need to see, it's not a method or a strategy. It's worship. Right? It's the high priest who brings us into the presence of God. Jesus Christ brings us into him, his presence. There's no mediator between God and man. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Right? He is our mediator. God himself is our mediator between ourselves and God. That is much better than Aaron who only gets to go in once a year. Right? But it's not just better. It's displacing and it's powerful. You don't have to go anywhere to get to God because Jesus came down to get to you. So the point is, is not to put these two on the scale, but for this displacement, the felt weight and the power and the glory and the beauty of Jesus to displace our coldness or to displace our struggle or to displace our seeking and to see that this is the only way out. This is the only way to God. This is the only way out. And this is the only way I'm going to be passionate about Jesus loving Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we do thank you for today. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that you came down to get us. We thank you that this is not a simple comparison game. God, you're so glorious and so beautiful and so mighty and so powerful. You're it for us. The only way for us. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, truth, and life. You're it. We need you, God, so desperately. Pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.